scriptures and open them to Job chapter 1. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, it is an awesome thing to come into your presence. You have promised through your word that when we come together, you are there in our midst. Even if there are just two or three worshiping you, you promise to build your temple and fill it with your presence. You are here with us. So we petition you to sculpt us and mold us as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Trinity Seminary professor John Fry wrote in his book, The Great Apostolic Blunder Machine, I propose that theologians write theology from the standpoint of a mother in Bombay whose child has just starved to death. She would not be theology's primary reader, and her situation wouldn't provide theology's subject matter. However, her rage and her grief would provide an angle of vision. From there, let the theologian write about God and Jesus Christ, revelation, God's loving plan, the church justice, and God's triumph over evil. I think that is what the book of Job gives us, is an angle of vision, a context for the theology that we proclaim. And as we close our time together here in Job, I want us to do something that I've never done before. I'm going to preach a recap sermon. I've never preached a recap sermon in the 20 years I've been here. But I think that it's, it's so important to gather together what we have learned in these last 14 weeks as we've made our way through the book. And so this week and next week, we're just going to recap and put back into context what we've learned. Because if it's true that in this life we will have trouble... That everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted, as 2 Timothy 3 says. That we walk as though through fire, as Isaiah 55 says. If it's true that we participate in the sufferings of Christ, Philippians 3. That we suffer all kinds of griefs and trials, 1 Peter 1. If it's true that we will be hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. If all that is true that we read in Scripture, it's critical that we have a robust theology of suffering. We have to, people, have a robust understanding of what this life really is and how to go through this life. It's critical that we have knowledge of 
what suffering is, its purpose, how to endure it, God's role in it. And that's what the book of Job gives us. So I'd like to offer seven life lessons from the book of Job. Seven life lessons. Three this week and four next week. Lesson number one. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is real. That's very clear from the opening chapters of Job. Chapters one and two. We see that very clearly. That those chapters kind of pull back the curtain. If there's a curtain here and, and we can see the spiritual realities that are going on, he's pulled back the curtain a little bit and given us a window in. And there's a battle going on. There are forces of good and evil. God and Satan. And our life is the battlefield. That's what the book of Job is telling us. Let's be clear from the outset. God is in total control of the battle. But it's a battle nonetheless. Let me say that again. God is in total control of the battle. But it's a battle nonetheless. D.L. Moody said, I thought when I became a Christian I had nothing to do but just lay my oars on the bottom of the boat and float along. But I soon found out that I would have to go against the current. That's what our life feels like a lot of times. Going against the current. And sometimes the current is mild. And sometimes you're in white water. In Job, we're given a peek into the white water of suffering, aren't we? It's because Satan is real. And he has real power. In Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, God asks Satan where he's been. You remember what he replies? Exactly. Going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down it. Make no mistake, this is Satan's sandbox. Ephesians says, Ephesians 6 says it this way, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the authorities of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's holy scripture. Warfare, spiritual warfare is real. And and our life, many times, is the battlefield for it. That's where the, the war is played out. Theo Moody continues and said, When I was converted, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was already mine. The victory already won. The crown already in my grasp. I thought the old things had passed away and all things had become new and that my old corrupt nature, the old life was gone. But I found out after serving Christ for just a few months that conversion was like enlisting in the army and the battle was at hand. Brothers and sisters, we need to be aware of this. Because Satan hates us. You know, we, today we throw around that word hate pretty, pretty easily. But think about that for a second. Satan hates you. He does. If you're here today and you've claimed Christ as your Savior, if you've given him the lordship of your life, and you depend on him and him alone for your salvation, Satan hates you. It says it all over Scripture, doesn't it? 
First Peter 5, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking to devour you and me. And he takes that job very seriously. And he's been doing it for millennia. He's good at it. But we can't leave it there because we know something from Scripture. The solace that we can gain from Job is that Satan has restricted power. This far and no more, he said twice in Job 1 and 2, right? He's a tethered, limited enemy. The New Testament says it this way. This is the New Testament version of Job 1 and 2. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide an escape so that you'll be able to endure it. That's Job 1 and 2 put in New Testament language. He won't let it go beyond what you can bear. We saw Job bear a lot. And maybe you can go to that place. But God knows how far your limit is. And he won't let it go beyond that. Spiritual warfare is real. But God sets the limits. Lesson number two. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. Spiritual warfare is real. And suffering is part of the Christian experience. Mike Huckabee in Practice of Patience, writes this, Several of our employees were injured on the ice last month. I have a feeling that no, not one of them ventured out his doorway and said to his wife, Honey, I'm going to go get the paper and fall and break my leg, okay? If you've ever been on slick ice, it doesn't matter how careful or sure-footed you are. When you hit that slick spot, it's over before you know it. The Bible kind of gives us a picture that that's the picture of suffering. It's not anything that you can do to prevent it. There's no use trying. You will encounter troubles. You will encounter tribulation. You will encounter suffering. Whatever Bible translation you have. We just have to know this as believers. And this is why we have to have such a thick theology of suffering in our lives. Which the book of Job actually hands us on a silver platter. An expectation in each of our lives that we will hit black ice as we are walking on that straight and narrow path. It's there. I said this a few months ago, Job is the foil or the spiritual balance, if you will, of the book of Proverbs. If you read only the book of Proverbs, you could get the impression that all you have to do is live by these simple principles. Obey these certain things. Stay on the straight and narrow and your life will be easy. Thus, we say, if we do this and say that and don't say that, if we bridle our tongue and we use our wealth well, if we are submissive, and lead well, if we teach our children properly, oh, then life will go well. 
Well, Job actually puts an end to that type of thinking. That's why Job is in the Bible. Because our proclivity is to think that way. Both the writer of Job and God himself in the book of Job says twice that Job is blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He's a really good Christian. That's what the, I mean, that's the New Living Translation of that. He's a really good Christian. And he hits a huge patch of black ice. Why? Because suffering is normative in this life. We need to expect suffering in this world. Former quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys and a devoted Christian, Roger Staubach, was asked about his football injuries. He was asked, how do you keep on keeping on if you're a a professional football player with all these injuries? And Staubach said, if you're not playing hurt, you're not playing football. That's true of the Christian walk. It's a basic truth of the Christian walk. If you're not living hurt, in some way, relationally, issues at work, issues with, with, with people because of how you're living, if you're not living hurt in some way or ways, you might not be living the Christian life. It's a hard truth. Because suffering is part of the Christian experience. And I want to give you five quick reasons. First, Satan sifts. Satan sifts. We just talked about this. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. That's, that's Job 1 and 2 set in the New Testament context, isn't it? Just as Satan sifted Peter and Job and many others, he and his demons will do the same to you. Number two, sin in traps. Sin in traps. Sometimes we slip on black ice. You know why? Because we threw the water out and it froze and we walked over it. Sometimes there are consequences to your sin. Sometimes God is really graceful. You know, I'm going to take that back. Many times God is really graceful with us. But sometimes we've created the black ice and we slip on it. We reap the consequences of our sin. That's Galatians 6. One who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. There is a sow and reap. Three, this world is broken. This world is broken. Brothers and sisters, there's been a horrible 10 on the Richter scale earthquake that has disrupted this world. And the streets that would normally take us from A and B no longer take us from A and B. We'd like to think that, but it doesn't. This world works improperly. So now good 
is returned with evil sometimes. Love with persecution. Kindness with hate. Have you experienced that, brothers and sisters? How you're holding out a cool cup of water in some way, shape, or form, and you get back, ouch? That's because the world is broken. It doesn't work right. And so we suffer. Number four, God sanctifies. God sanctifies. Sometimes we suffer because God wants to refine us in some area of our life. He wants to refine us in some area of our life. If you've read the New Testament at all, you see this. I mean, the most, one of the most famous verses that we quote all the time is, is proving this point. Romans 8.28. And we read Hebrews 12 about he disciplines those he loves. Why is God disciplining you? Because he wants to sculpt you to be more like Christ in some way, shape, or form. What is it in your life that he's, he's, he's putting his finger on, the pressure on? Spurgeon said, Many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. Isn't that great? And finally, number five, God glorifies himself through our suffering. God glorifies himself through our sufferings. This is one of the hardest ones, brothers and sisters, to be honest with you. This is hard. God uses our suffering to bring more glory to him. And there's no better place to see this than in John chapter 9. You remember this, as they were walking along, Jesus saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who is it that sinned, he or his father? They're saying he's suffering, there's a reason for it, this is a consequential type of thing they're asking, this is a consequence, is the consequence because he sinned or because his father sinned? And what Jesus says is really hard. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Guys, we're not talking about two days or two weeks or two months here probably. We're talking about years. Michael Horton, professor of theology at Westminster Seminary, commented on this verse and wrote, however difficult it might be to swallow... There is something bigger than you and your personal happiness. And that is God and his purposes. That's a hard one. That's hard. It's hard to write. It's hard to say. We don't always understand this. And sometimes, quite frankly, we don't want to understand this. But God glorifies himself through our sufferings. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus was saying in the upper room in John 17 when he was praying his high priestly prayer and he prayed, Father, the time has come. What, what time? Well, the time of his crucifixion. Father, my time has come. Glorify your son. He's talking about his crucifixion. That your son may glorify you. That through my suffering, you might be glorified. Jesus was willing to go through the agony of the cross for God's glory 
and for our salvation. For the joy set before him. We are the joy set before him. John Stott, the British author and pastor, wrote, In the realm of uh, world of pain, in the real world of pain, how could one worship a God that is immune to it? That's great. Jesus wasn't. He lived that perfect life and died that, that sacrificial death so that we might have eternal life. Lesson three. In suffering, hang on to God with all you've got. In your suffering, hang on to God with all you've got. Oswald Chambers wrote, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm visibly delivered or not, I stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned In a fiery furnace. It's true. That's true of perseverance. Brothers and sisters, the only way you learn about perseverance is by going through the furnace. And God knows this. God wants to strengthen our grip on him by putting us through these things. By the way, circling back, that gives more glory to God, doesn't it? The only way you can learn how tight your grip on God is, is by going through the flames. And that's what the book of Job gives us a huge insight in. Huge insight. So we need to go back to the book of Job again and again. I hope your Bible is now a little bit like mine, that you kind of put it down and it opens to Job. That's a good place for the Bible to open to. That's what James is encouraging all believers to do in James 5. Listen to what James says. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought out of it. James is pointing us to Job. Where perseverance, we're hanging on through difficult things are concerned. One of the primary reasons Job is in our Bibles is to give us an example of faithfulness through suffering. In other words, getting to the other side. How to persevere in trials. And, and I don't know about you, but when I looked at this in Job, it was surprising, wasn't it? Wasn't it surprising to you that Job is the example of this? Because Job's example doesn't look like the normal examples that we give when we give an example. It's, it's, it's not linear. 
He said faithful things. I mean, remember when he said after the Lord, uh, you know, his, the Lord gives permission to Satan in, in, in chapter 1 and, and he loses his family. Do you remember what he says? Naked I came into my, from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. That's a really faithful thing. But then, as the Brits say, he goes on for 30 chapters whinging. Doesn't make sense. How is how's Job uh, an example here? His wife told him to curse God and die. Do you remember that? Do you remember how he replied? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? That's incredibly faithful. But then he cries out over and over and over again that God has abandoned him. Job claims consistently throughout the book. I'm innocent, I'm upright, I'm blameless, I'm guiltless. Yet he complains to God about him not vindicating him. You see, brothers and sisters, even in the most mature life, perseverance doesn't look pretty a lot of times. If you looked at my life at certain times, at certain moments, you'd say, is he really a Christian saying those things? And I think we see that in Job sometimes. Is he really, can you say those things? Can you have that much doubt? Say very faithful things. And then the next breath, you bring God on the carpet. It's a jagged emotional line of ups and downs is what perseverance looks like. In the Christian, the real Christian life. We can't look at any emotional moment as evidence for Christian perseverance. We have to look at the undeniable markers. And in closing, I want to give you four markers of undeniable godly perseverance. The first marker is realism. Realism. You have to be honest about your situation. You can't pretend that it's not there. You can't say, yeah, I've, I've, I've lost my daughter, but it's okay. And it's not okay. And at times, you say that to God. Just like Job. I think that Job 3, chapter 3, should be dog-eared in, in our Bibles. It's there that Job is the most real. He's real throughout, but there's, there Job is the most real. It's a deep dive into his depression and angst that gives us permission to do exactly that. So first marker is realism of perseverance. Second marker is who you complain to. Who you complain to is critical. <laughs> who you run to is critical. In Job, we see that he is always running to and struggling with God. He's hurting, but he never leaves God. He keeps going back to God again 
and again and again. Perseverance is marked out by which direction you run when you hit black ice. Toward or away from God. Third marker. You remain faithful to the end. Oh, here's an easy one. Third marker of perseverance that the Bible puts forth is you make it all the way to you when you die. And here we are. Here I am in my 58th year. I'm not dead yet. How is this a marker? It's hard because we don't know until the end. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Right? This is what we actually hear Paul proclaiming in his last letter that he ever wrote from prison, 2 Timothy 4, right at the end of his life. He probably had the date of his beheading given to him already. And he writes this, For I am already poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. He got to that point. And that really leads into the last marker, which is makes sense of the third one, which is you have faith, you have trust, you have knowledge that you don't have God as much as God's got you. That's what makes sense of all this. God's got you. You realize that it's not your grip that ultimately counts, but it's God's grip on you. You want to know where assurance of faith comes from? It's right here. A man once came to D.L. Moody and said he was worried because he didn't feel saved. And Moody asked him, was Noah safe in the ark? The man said he certainly was. Well, what made him safe? His feeling... Or being in the ark. Brothers and sisters, you're in the ark. Genesis 6, 7, and 8, 9. You know what those are all about? It's about Christ. You're safe in the ark. You get through the flood. By the way, flood in Scripture is judgment. You get through it. Safe. So hang on, knowing all the time that God's got you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, for your assurance that you have just given me as I preached it, and given your people as they heard it. Lord, again, we praise you, praise you for the book of Job. And help us, Lord, to go back and mine it again and again in our life because in this life we do have trouble. So I ask you, Lord, to help us to learn the life lessons from Job. Help us to be faithful through this difficult life. In Jesus' name, amen.